Well, good evening. My name is Mike Murphy, for those of you who don't know me, and uh, today we're going to be talking about love. <laughs> and specifically, we're going to be talking about uh, loving our enemies. Uh, there is a preacher who is speaking to his congregation one day, and he says, Now, I'll bet that many of you feel that you have enemies in your lives. He says, uh, So raise your hands if you have many enemies. And quite a few people <laughs> raise their hands. He says, now raise your hands if you have only a few enemies. And about half as many people raise their hands. And he said, now raise your hands if you have only one or two enemies. And even fewer people raise their hands. And then he says, see, most of us feel like we have no enemies. Now raise your hands if you feel like you have no enemies at all. And the minister looks around and looks around and finally way in the back. A very old man raises his hand, and he stands up, and he says, I have no enemies whatsoever. And the pastor says, Ed, come on up front. And so Ed makes his way up front, and he says, Ed, what a blessing. How old are you? And Ed says, I'm 98 years old, and I have no enemies. And the minister says, what a wonderful Christian life you lead. And tell us, how is it they have no enemies? And the man looked at the card at the congregation and in a loud voice says, I have no enemies because all the dang fools died. <laughs> I want to read you a passage of scripture. And, uh, and, it, and this is what I want you to do. This is going to be a little bit interactive. When I read a word or a phrase that you say, wow, this is difficult. Or this is something I struggle with. I just want you to stand up and keep standing. All right? Pretty easy? So if there's a phrase, a sentence or whatnot, just stand up and keep standing. There's not, you know, we're not, that's all we're going to do with this. All right? So here it goes. And it's from, uh, it's from Matthew 5, from the Sermon on the Mount. He says, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anybody wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it, was sa that it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. Be perfect. Therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Well, looking around, there's a fair amount of us that uh, struggle with this passage a little bit, right? A few people not standing. So wherever you are, sitting or standing, before you sit down... Just tell somebody why you stood up. <laughs> tell them why in about 15 seconds, why you struggle with this particular passage. Would you do that? And then sit down. <laughs>
All right. Thank you. I'll be honest with you. I think this is a tough piece of scripture to get your, handle, uh, your hands around. Uh, I've heard people say to me when I've read through this scripture, they say, well, I'm not going to be a doormat for anyone. Carry someone else's stuff? I don't even carry a bag up to my hotel room. Turn the other cheek? Well, you don't get ahead doing that. <laughs> and I've even had people say, I'm going to outlive everybody I hate. <laughs> Ain't going to be a problem. So is Jesus saying all this stuff in this book just so that we could ignore it? I mean, was he just kind of kidding? Was he just kind of saying, I'm going to be funny today and we're going to do something that's going to be a big yuck? Or or was this something that he really meant? We're going to kind of explore that tonight. And I hope by the end of the night that, that that I've tweaked a few of you a little bit. Is that all right? You know, that there'll be something to hear that'll get you thinking. And if it gets you thinking, then I hope it gets you praying and that you'll go back and you'll actually read this and study this passage and say, what is it that God is trying to say to me in this? When I lived in Evanston, I met a man, uh, and we were working on a plan to combat uh, violence and to stem the tide of gang influence in that city. And the man had a special emphasis on keeping handguns off the street. And it was for good reason. His son was in a perfectly acceptable place one evening, but at the wrong time in Rogers Park. And a stray bullet killed him instantly. The killer was caught and sentenced to prison. But this man was haunted uh, by the loss of his son, as who wouldn't be? And I love this man's desire and hard work to keep handguns away from people. It was a good and needed step towards his healing. But as I watched, I could tell that his crusade was not bringing him the fulfillment he was really looking for. The rage and the anger of losing his son, it was consuming him. It was haunting him. And as a dad myself, I could easily relate. And I wondered at times when I left meetings with him, I wondered if, if he would ever be set free. A few years after that, I, I happened to turn on Nightline on ABC. And there was a story of a woman being told. And I looked, some of the images were from Evanston, and this story went on. I realized that this woman was this man's wife. And so I listened in, very attentive. I knew a lot of the people that were on the videos. She, too, had been unsettled and in deep despair. And then God did something one day through a church service. He whispered something in her ear. And what she heard was that she was to go visit her son's killer. And so she went, off, she went off to prison to visit this man. She needed to stare her nightmare right in the face. And something happened for her as she took that step. She found herself very reluctantly drawn to that man who killed her son as a person. And they kept meeting periodically. And the Nightline piece said she actually came to a place of caring about the young man who killed her son. And then she was able eventually actually to, to forgive him. And in that process began freeing herself from the good part of the pain that held her hostage. 
Now, many people hearing a story like that will rightfully say, I could never do that. Some people would even say, I would never do that. I wouldn't even respond to that nudge from God. I could never embrace and care about someone who had destroyed someone that was so important to me. It does go against just about every natural inclination, doesn't it? Right? Do you agree with that? But here's the, here's, here's the thing. When you read this, it might go against our natural inclinations, but it doesn't go against God's intention. Because God's intention is this. He says this. You find a way to love your enemies. Find a way to move towards those you hate. I have a New Zealand friend, or rather I should call him a mate, who spends time each year with Ugandans. Uganda is in the news a lot lately because of a worldwide campaign called Kony 12. How many of you have heard of that? If you haven't, go online. Find out about it. I think it's worth knowing about. Joseph Kony is considered by many, many people as the most evil man that ever set foot on the face of the earth. And there's some pretty big people in that category. Over the past 20 years, he has kidnapped and abused over 30,000 young people in northern Uganda and neighboring countries. He often has them kill their own parents in most gruesome of ways. He's a psychopath. He's dangerous. The international community has not even cared that, that he's doing this for the most part. But now they're starting to mobilize some actions, and Coney 12 is one of the reasons why. It's a movement of awareness, bringing huge amount of tension to his reign of terror. Now, my friend, my mate from New Zealand, helps to care for children in that area through some ministries his organization supports. He's seen the wounds in their bodies, and he's suffered hearing through their screams at night. Now, my mate is a big, burly man, and he wrote recently that he wouldn't mind meeting Coney in a back alley because he's sick of him. And he'd like to administer some justice New Zealand style. And then he stops. And in his writing, he says, that is, he says, until I think about Jesus, the one I've made Lord of my life. And he says, I'm convinced that Jesus would want Coney brought to justice soon. But also driven But he also says, I believe Jesus would love to see Coney, this psychopath, brought to his knees in repentance for his sins. And I believe Jesus, he says, would want to restore him to to be the man that he was created to be. And that he could look in the mirror and see himself as the child of God that he was intended to be. And he goes on in his writing, he says, he says, the Ugandan people know he uh, people, he says the Ugandan people that my friend knows uh, who have been victimized by Kony do want justice to be done. But they know justice alone won't be enough to heal their wounds or their memories. And he writes, my Ugandan friends, these young people, they are not thinking revenge. They are dealing with a lifetime of trauma that has been inflicted upon them 
And they will do that with dignity and joy and forgiveness and hope despite their history. And some of them will die as teenagers because of Coney's activities in their life. But he says, but if when they die, he says, I'm convinced it will not be with revenge on their lips. It will be in praise to their God, the God who has rescued them and, 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 uh, and, and given them new hope and put forgiveness in their hearts. And he says, I know this. I've spent hours talking to them, and the peace and patience is intense. And it's the peace and forgiveness that sustains them, not the need for retribution. It's powerful, isn't it? Let's be frank. It's easy to hate. It's easy to hate. Just go on Facebook. Look around a little bit. It's easy to hate. It's a habit. Just go to the Middle East and witness what centuries-old patterns of hate and, and an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth have wrought. Or read the stories of the violence last weekend in Chicago. Huge amounts of violence. Have been following that? Been with, was with some folks today and they talked about I mean, just on Wednesday, and they were, they were talking to me how they're so afraid to let their kids out, outside to play. It's, it's crazy, they say. What are those fights about, you know? A, a grudge that had to be avenged, a corner that needed to be protected, a misspoken word. It's not just in our city, but just turn on a radio talk show and listen to the unreasonable ranting and raving. Even some shows that you listen to. For hours and hours on end, and it gets you all worked up and it gets you into a, a lather, you know? And you begin to wonder if there's any sanity left in this world. Watch the political, political ads, and if you don't cringe when you hear the attack dogs barking, well, something's wrong. There's an appalling lack of impulse control in our culture today. And often, we as Christians, are right in the mix, aren't we? We are. Saw that in the video. Once worked at a Bible church and received a call from someone who knew I had grown up Roman Catholic. And he said, hey, Mike, uh, we're starting a group for ex-Catholics and wanted to see if you'd like to come to it. And I said, yeah, sure, I'd love to do it. But you need to know something. I'm... I'm not angry. I'm not ticked off. I thank God for my upbringing, the men and women who helped shape me. And there was a long pause, and the person said, oh, well, maybe this group isn't for you then. (laughs) We live in a world that likes to pick sides, like to choose teams, we like to argue and debate, and a lot of that is so good. We need to do that. The Bible talks about iron, iron sharpening iron. That's, that's good stuff. But I'm convinced that the rapid demise of civility in our world is the result of us not desiring to love in the radical, radical way that Jesus is calling us 
to do that. And so what we do instead is oftentimes marginalize those we disagree with or who are different from us and, or who are difficult to deal with. And what we do is we make them the enemy. Do you agree with that? I see some nods of heads. We make people the enemy and they're not. This loving our enemy stuff doesn't mean that we're not going to have disagreements. It doesn't mean that we're not going to have vigorous debate around cultural and moral issues. It doesn't mean we become a doormat. It, doesn't, it does mean, though, that in the heat of any battle that we're in, whatever it is that we're listening to, whatever's getting us stirred up in our lives, what it does mean is that we are to bear in mind that Jesus, the Christ, the Lord of all, calls each and every one of us to a higher standing. And he does call us. He says, I really do. I'm not kidding about this. He says, I want you to figure out how to love your enemy and to pray for those who persecute you. He says, I want you to see all people as having worth because they are made in the image and likeness of God. During the last campaign, uh, I watched John McCain do something that was very interesting. This isn't a political stance on anything, all right? Just tell me this, because uh, <laughs> we do get emails, and sometimes they're hate-filled. And, uh, <laughs> so it's not that. And Dan, if you're watching, I, I did that, so all right. But an elderly, elderly woman up in Minnesota, where I lived for a number of years, started to give it to then-Senator Obama. And in words cloaked in anger, she said, Obama, that Arab. <laughs> McCain grabbed the mic, and he said something like this, paraphrasing just a bit. He said, don't do that. Senator Obama is a good man. You don't have to tear him down to make your point. I'm running against him because I disagree about how we should run this country. We have policy disagreements but I'm not here to tear down a man. He's a decent man. He's a family man. And after he said that, McCain was booed. What's it all about? What's the craziness in our world that we just have to do all this stupid stuff? Is it because we really just desire to have enemies? We just need somebody to get down low and dirty with and personal? But what, that, what does that bring us? Why do we not want to look for the image of God and people that are different from us? Why do, we, why do we... What would happen if we started to do that and just wouldn't believe every stereotype or every little, you know, punditainer that we come across and, on TV or radio or in the, or the newspapers? One of my heroes is a guy by the name of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And Bonhoeffer worked in love to undermine the Nazi regime. He was compelled by love to work in that direction. It was a, it was, it was a struggle for him to figure out what that meant. And as he worked to undermine the Nazi regime, 
He also followed Jesus' command to pray for those who were persecuting him. When people asked him why, he had only one answer, and it was this. He said, God loves his enemies. God even loves the Nazis. If God forgave our debts, how can we not do the same for others? At the heart of Jesus' teaching is a startling reminder of how we are to live. Go through this book, and you see over and over again in the scriptures that God says this, you who believe, I want you to make the first move. You make the first move towards love. I want you to visit the one in prison who wronged you. I want you to forgive the person who stole your husband away. I want you to let go of grievances. I want you to make the move. Because that's what people do when they're on the way with Jesus. You make the move. Let me tell you something. This world of ours is aching to be impacted by people who are truly on the way of Jesus. Who lead with love, not hate. Jesus, in this passage, tells the Jews to suffer the humiliation of being forced by a Roman to carry his gear for one mile, which was a law, by the way, and offer to take the gear yet another mile. One commentator says that by offering to go a second mile, that what Jesus was saying is you'd be telling that Roman that you can't insult me because my life is secure in the beautiful kingdom of God. And so, he suggests, maybe Jesus is telling all of us to give those people that we don't care for, that do us harm, that wrong us, our enemies, well, maybe we should give them a taste of God's amazing grace. And so so instead of going one mile, we go two miles. And in some cases, maybe three miles or four miles, because that is the way of Christ. And that's the secret. He gets it. We can love our enemies and pray for our persecutors only as a response to what God is doing in our lives. And even then, and I have to admit this, I, I didn't sit down when I was asking you to stand up. Did I, I struggle with just about every verse in that. It's a wrestling match in my life. I take things too personally. I like to divide and conquer. I do all these things, but... But it's worth wrestling with because there's a better way. We live in a world that is in desperate need of extravagant love. Martin Luther King Jr. said, Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. And if what you're hearing, or what you're listening, what you're watching is just filled with hate, 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 divide, marginalize, whatnot. you got to get something else going in in your life. Because it's garbage in, garbage out. There's got to be another message that comes in that tells you about the world, way of Jesus. 
This is an important word, I think, for our time in history. We've got to quit hating. And you know something, folks? We, as the church, we've got to start standing up to the haters out there. We've got to quit believing that our hate will solve problems. And perhaps we should follow the advice of a British pundit who said, perhaps the only people we should ever try to get even with are the ones who have done us good. Love builds the bridge. Nothing else. Love, period. Love is a process. It's always a decision. It's a decision to look long and hard enough to see the image of God in another person. It's a decision to move towards them as you see that image. And sometimes what it starts with is maybe just, maybe just, maybe it is prayer. Just ask God to do something in our own heart to to renew our own spirits. Hate locks us in a prison, prison of bitterness and revenge, and love frees us. Too often we find ourselves in ugly battles with people, always analyzing who's up and who's down, seeking the upper hand, analyzing every slight. That's no way to live. That's no way to live. And Jesus offers us a way out of that. He says, there's a way. He says, I want you to love. And then he makes a striking promise. He said it in that scripture. He says, when you love even your enemies, then you will be known as my sons and daughters. People are going to see me in you. Jesus says, as you love others. And friends, that's the good word of our Lord. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you. Uh, Thank you for your word, even though it gives us tough stuff to wrestle with. Lord, we live in a world that just needs to be healed. Lord, if you'd allow it, would you help us to become part of that healing process? Do the work you need to do in our lives so that we can kind of reach out and help others do the work in theirs. Lord, we we, we trust you. We want to do what you want us to do. We give all this to you, and we pray this in your name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen.